This is Southeast Asia Crossroads, an educational podcast from the Center for Southeast Asian Studies at Northern Illinois University. From music to maps, money and modernity, this is where ideas come to life. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Southeast Asia Crossroads. Uh, I'm I'm one of the hosts, Eric Jones, and with me in studio is Ganjana. Very excited to be here. So excited. Yeah, for for multiple reasons. Um, uh, we're excited to be here. Uh, we've got we've got for our listeners. We've got uh, we've got something for the young, something for the old. Uh, we've got it all. I really think today is. Uh, uh, Rich Mani says, we're excited. We are, have uh, with us uh, Tusai Ka. Um, yeah, who is a musician, artist, scholar, community organizer, activist, uh, poetry, poet, writer, performer. Uh, let's give it up for Tusai. Thank you. Thanks for having He's throwing me. Throwing up my deuces, but no yeah. one can see. I do this on the podcast. Digital uh. deuces. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, thanks. So, um, uh, yeah, do, Ganji, do you maybe some uh, maybe some more context for a listener, and then we're gonna mm-hmm. we'll jump in with a bunch of uh, two psych. Where where should we? How should we uh, think about our guest? Let me activate my fangirl mode. Yeah, oh, <laughs> go on. Fangirl activated. So before I even ask any questions or engage in any discussion with you, I just want you to know I've been holding in tears <laughs> for like two days straight now since last night um, yeah. because I'm supposed to be in professor mode. But man, I I have been overcome with emotions um, as, as a fellow child of another world who grew up in the Midwest, as a fellow mm. heritage language learner, as a fellow lover of hip hop, as a, you know, just as, as someone who's trying to relearn and master the language of the home that it's all kinds of stuff so i just want you to know that your work is so impactful um to me as a person and as a scholar um who aspire to do the same things that you do as well in what i do wow thank you so much uh honestly it's it's an honor to be here and just connect to so much great so many great uh people students professors uh, everyone has been just so welcoming and uh, definitely just having strong connections too in, in whether it's what we study to the music, to our grandmothers, to uh, wanting to connect to heritage and, and even just our experiences in Southeast Asia. I feel like uh, there's just various connections, but I yeah, thank you for sharing that too. Uh- I'm gonna uh, yeah. try not to cry. <laughs> do, you, do you get that? You must get that sentiment um, often. I'm guessing from from people who it connects with, not only in like, oh, I love your I love your beats and your rhymes, but like in a visceral, familiar way. Is that is that? Do people come up to you and say like, wow, you really touched something? Correct. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say every single time, but definitely in in uh, when it's the the space spaces and people who do have similar experiences yes uh in my years i've uh made some really strong connections and i've also been inspired by many artists myself so i think i'm just sharing that right sharing stories but then also sharing 
experiences and creativity in a way that I I do hope connects to others. Yeah. So so yes. So um, maybe for our for our listeners, um, give us a bit. We'll do, but we're gonna do some. When I say behind the music, usually that's a metaphor. We're gonna actually <laughs> doing some music, but um, uh, give us a bit of your of your of your family history and yeah. and yeah, how we got up, here. To set the up table. the scene. How yeah. do we get here? Uh, <laughs> well, uh, I was I was born in a refugee camp in Thailand, and actually it was it was a refugee camp in Nong Khai. And uh, that's part of the the only history I knew at one time, right? And it was until I, you know, grew up in Syracuse, New York, and I was in elementary school to where I actually had this opportunity to ask my parents, where did we come from, right? And then they explained that they were, you know, from Laos, and that uh, they lived in these villages, and because of the war that happened with Vietnam War, and then the Secret War, that they had to flee. And for me, that gave this deep meaning of why I grew up, or why I was born in a refugee camp, but also growing up in the United States and wanting to feel connected to my cultural identity, but didn't really know how or where, and eventually, even though I had that awareness at that time, you know, I didn't have a strong community yet to an understanding of why I needed to learn my language and hold on to my uh, my identity. And it wasn't until my grandmother came into my life later on uh, when I was uh, graduating high school and she was sponsored over from Laos. And that's when I realized I couldn't communicate with her in the Hmong language. And then eventually I started to like really listen to her storytelling and her, you know, and then she was a poet and she was just somebody that was very dynamic speaker. And I think I started to pick up more of the language by talking to her little by little. And eventually because I did my art of uh, hip hop and then spoken word and she made a connection that my art is similar to her because she does this oral tradition of Hmong poetry chanting called Gutsia. And I think we made a connection, and I think that's where I really felt, you know, I was connecting to the older generation and the sense of the history of this traditional art called Gutsia. But then because I was working with young people too and wanting to teach them, I was also... uh, passing on some of that knowledge and wanting to present it for a new generation. So we thought of this idea called Fresh Traditions where Grandma and I would perform together. And I think it really just, things just took off from there as far as, uh, you know, really feeling a sense of identity for me and feeling a strong sense of it. And so that's that's my uh, family story of how I really got into this work through my grandma and through, you know, wanting to work with young people. And, and it still continues even after my grandma passed, I would say, as I continue to share this story and write and reflect on our experiences. But, uh, and, and also continue to just uh, present and perform. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And, you know, the, the journey, right, of, yeah. of being a heritage language learner 
there's that moment, uh, for at least for me, yeah. when I could pass, right? When my Thai got oh, good yeah. enough yeah. and I could pass. And I went to Thailand for the first time and spoke uh. to folks and they didn't suspect anything. <laughs> and, and I felt like I could finally, I have my two full selves. I could yeah. express myself fully in English, express myself fully in Thai. Mm -hmm. What was that moment for you? And what was that journey like to get, or are you there? Are you there yet? Uh, <laughs> I think that I'm at a point where I can definitely communicate, definitely because I just came back from a field study and, you know, because I've uh, in the uh, MA of Southeast Asian Studies program in Madison there. So I came back from my field studies in Thailand and engaging in the villages. And I definitely felt more comfortable speaking Hmong, felt more natural. And we were just sharing stories. Uh, I think that I still have a little ways to go as far as sentence structure because sometimes we will think about how to say it in English and translate it in Hmong and then like the yeah the the structure of the sentences reverse mm. you know to how it's supposed to be expressed in Hmong so sometimes I get tripped up with that here and there but for the most part they'll still understand what I'm trying to say but uh for the most part though I feel a lot more comfortable than before uh in a way where I can communicate with uh people in the villages and and uh, continue to engage with more elders yeah so yeah so it was in definitely in the the villages uh as I visited them over the years yeah and so the new album that you just dropped, promotion break, um, yeah. right? Uh, the, um, in 2021, you made a point to write many of those rhymes in the Hmong language. Correct. What yeah. was that process like for you to express yourself or to, to go through that exercise, right, of using a medium that you're fluent mm -hmm. in, in English, and transferring it to the home language. And I guess a, a tag on to her question, did, did um, your, your you know, hip hop is the medium which through this, in this particular um, versus you express, did you, would, were you already, you were already doing hip hop in, in, in English or had like mm -hmm. maybe say a bit and then, and how did the switch to, to Hmong happen? Yeah, I was uh, writing lyrics in English for you know more than a decade uh, about the immigrant experience or, yeah. or in general or i would uh, say in general because i wrote a lot of songs about a lot of different things like i think i wrote a song about summertime right <laughs> and uh gotta have a track sunshine. about summer yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. especially if you, grew up, yeah. if you grew up in the midwest yes. it's a thing it's yes. a thing yes <laughs> you have more of an appreciation for it right um and uh various subjects but i think a big uh, I, I guess the focus of a lot of my songs was on uh, expressing my story of the Hmong experience, the Hmong American experience, and sharing with other people, other cultures, as well as the younger generation. And I think that that was a big uh, focus of my music at the time. And eventually when I did get to visit uh, a village in, in Thailand, which was my aunt's village uh, in northern Thailand, I realized that I only had English songs and I couldn't share it with the uh, people in the village. Right? And then I was thinking, oh, I should write Hmong songs or songs in the Hmong language. And so I wrote one while I was there uh, in one of the villages on the mountain. And I think I th that that's when I had the idea I should write an entire album 
and wanting it to be to reach Hmong people from different parts of the world. And that's how it came to be, and that's why it's called Unified Worldwide, or the project in itself. Yeah. So. Yeah. And what year was that? That you like that moment when you're like, okay, I need to be able to share my art with my people. Yeah, and this is good because it breaks down a lot of the details. Um, that was 2011. Oh wow! So then it took me 10 years to get myself to the point where I could. Uh, have enough confidence in the language and also my journey of relearning the language in a way that I could express myself in it. And uh, so it was released in 2021. And I think that for me, it, I mean, it was definitely worth it. I, uh, there was probably a few breaks where I focused on other things, but in any case, it was a, a process of 10 years of learning the language, immersing myself, and then developing the reading and writing of the language too, and being able to express myself in a way that I felt confident enough to do it. So, yeah. And how do you feel about it, the end product? Oh, I feel uh, relieved that it's, well, you know, it's one of those projects that, you know, as an artist, I just kept in my heart. Like, I, one day I got, I'm going to finish this project, you know, when it's the right time. And I think being able to complete this idea that's I just had in my, my, uh, my mind and in my heart for so long, I think that it's just something coming to fruition, like a, a life accomplishment, you could say. And so I definitely feel, feel positive about it. And I shared it with a lot of the community and uh hope to share more yeah. is there has there been a different response with the i guess with the Hmong community in the united states the Hmong community in southeast asia and then maybe the just the hip-hop community like how have those varied like you know in terms of their or or maybe or maybe other communities with with similar immigrant stories but um yeah. uh and, y and you, you shared some of the some of those uh native american connections yes. in, in your talk uh, yes. What, what could maybe give us some sense of response to yeah. you know, that. Yeah. Um, uh, because, uh, you know, the Twin Cities, uh, St. Paul has one of the largest Hmong communities, and there's a large urbanized Native community in Minneapolis. There was a lot of connections and collaborations and uh, really being inspired by the, the purpose of revitalization of language through hip-hop or through songs. And I think that's where I got a lot of inspiration from the Native community. And I feel uh, just thinking about it, but then having that extra purpose of revitalization, that it's not just a personal project that I want to write in the Hmong language, but it could also help others and other engage other young people that may have lost their own language or are still trying to learn their language. I think it gave me uh, this extra purpose to uh, finish the album. And uh, with that, uh, oh, I forgot your question, <laughs> your original question. Was it the reception of the, the album oh, the in reception. different communities, okay, yeah. different audiences? Right. Uh, so in that sense, I felt, um, you know, yeah, I had that extra purpose. And I actually, uh, you know, would talk to different organizations that... Uh, like educational organizations thinking about how I can actually utilize this in schools eventually and engage students. And in, in, in Southeast Asia, in the U.S.? Or oh, in the well, U.S., yes, okay. in the U.S. as a, 
a tool or a, yeah a tool to engage them in because like Min- Min- Minnesota in particular has a has a kind of a, a consciousness that like mm-hmm. of 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 Asian American recognition right that is that is ahead of I'm guessing of other states so they they might have actual advocacy for this yeah yeah there's in schools yeah there's organizations uh, like the Humanity Center there's coalition of asian american leaders so there's a there's a definitely a community support for it and i think that the intention of it <coughs> you know eventually even being used as a tool an educational tool in classrooms uh was something that uh people were interested in teachers were interested in uh families and and so in that sense it met that goal i was able to right after i completed it i was able to uh, actually use it as an educational tool to engage students in a few of the schools in Minnesota. And uh, so in that sense, it met that type of goal. Um, as far as the music scene goes in the Hmong community, uh, the Hmong language music scene, I should say, uh, I think that it didn't get as big of a reception as far as like uh, becoming like uh, hot off the shelves. Okay, we don't do the shelves anymore. Yeah. Hot <laughs> off the streams, I would say. <laughs> As far as hot off the streams, yeah, I think that uh, the most surprising support that I got was actually from a lot of non-Hmong uh, supporters, uh, even though it's in the Hmong language. And I should know that because I do listen to music of other languages, even if I don't understand right. uh, every word, I, I'll st- I can still appreciate it. And I found that there was other uh, artists, organizers, community folks that were really supportive, uh, even though it was in the Hmong language, too. Um, and I think Southeast Asia, I think it's really cool because I see it more as uh, when we go and engage and exchange music with other artists and people that live in the villages, it was a way for me to share my music and then for them to also share their what they were working on or what type of arts they were working on or if they were also a musician. And so uh, in this album, there are actually uh, artists from Vietnam and Laos who are also Hmong and rapped in Hmong. Uh, and and France, and so I felt really honored to have other artists from other parts of the world contribute, and I got to meet the artists from Vietnam uh, over the summer too, and so I thought that was really uh, a great moment to to because we were communicating online to uh, collaborate on this song, and uh, meeting him in person, and then you know seeing his studio. And other artists that were uh, in Vietnam at the time was uh, definitely a great experience for me. And I think it's meeting its goal of unified worldwide, where it's bringing me closer to the diaspora of Hmong. So in that sense, it's it's getting there, I would say. Yeah. How did, how did you get connected to the other Hmong hip-hop artists? Is there like yeah. a secret club, Facebook group? <laughs> kind group of, yeah. Chat? It was a Facebook group. <laughs> it was like a Hmong hip hop. Oh, are you like serious? It was Facebook. a Facebook yeah, group? Yeah. <laughs> really? Oh, wow. It was. And people <laughs> would post their songs on YouTube or on Facebook or other platforms. And uh, well, they would share it. And I would hear their music. And yeah, that's how I heard the artists from uh, Vietnam and the artists from France. Is, is California um, the big biggest site of in, in terms of American um, Hmong and Southeast Asian kind of hip hop, California. Yeah, or is or is it the Midwest? Uh, for hip hop, yeah, like oh. Southeast Asian hip hop. That's a gr- uh, well. If you're talking about Southeast Asia in general, uh, I'm not as familiar with uh, various groups. 
Um, but it's from a monk's perspective, I think that it's pretty close. But because Wisconsin and Minnesota is combined, there's yeah. a lot more artists right. from both those states. Um, but I think we all kind of combine and share music amongst each other within those states too. And yeah, yeah. I would say the Hmong American music scene has this more of a communal connection to each other where we share a lot of music and do shows together. But uh, internationally, I think that's still... There's a few collaborations internationally, but it's still newer to collaborate with another artist from Hmong artists from a different part of the world. Can, yeah. can I ask you about one of my uh, new fi- new favorite Hmong artists, yeah. uh, Juo Jia? Is that, is your is that your grandmother's name? Did I say it right? Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, Juo Jia. The so I wish I wish this weren't uh, weren't only an audio. Maybe we can, we can try to put up a link, uh, but. Uh, uh, the 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 great photos and videos of you uh-huh. and your grandmother it's so t- it's not only so touching like to see that intergenerational but like uh, she <laughs> she seems like an awesome lady um tell us about your grandma and this collaboration which is really cool yeah uh fresh traditions it was uh you know after she identified that she uh, made a connection to what I was performing, even though it was in English. And, and she was the I- initial, like, I need to t- connect with her. I can't understand her. So I've got to, like, that was a big uh, aha moment in, yeah. in your in, mo- in your Hmong language. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and then when we thought of the idea and then we were both ready and I asked her and she accepted and she's just like, yeah, tell me where to be and I'll be there to perform. <laughs> Uh, then I was thinking, okay, how do we do this? And <laughs> it was us thinking about our ver- breaking down Hmong gutsia or poetry chanting verses and understanding her structure. And then how do I weave my verses and stanzas with hers? And <clears throat> so I think that in itself was its own process. And then through that, learning that she doesn't read and write and she all her poems are memorized or improvised. And, and that's where I got the whole phrase of my grandma can freestyle from. It was just, <laughs> yeah, it just fascinates me more and more just learning about her and how she does poetry and her process and then how it combines to combine it together. And so eventually we performed at a uh, show at for Pangea World Theater. In a, it's an organization from Minneapolis. And <coughs> they were just created space for Hmong artists to collaborate together. And it was just a beautiful moment. Uh, visually too, just to see a grandma and her grandson performing together on stage, and we both had the sunglasses too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I think that it it just became its own uh, unique uh, performance, right? Showcase, and yeah, I think it was. Uh, then we just started getting booked for shows after that. Yeah, that's many amazing. Shows. A two-person yeah. crew. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So the, the rhyming scheme you talked a little bit in uh, your talk today yeah. are completely different, mm-hmm. right, between the two forms of, of um, verbal art that you engage in or your mo- your grandmother engaged in. And, and of course, I'm a language nerd, so I really mm-hmm. want to dig into this. Sure. And yeah. so can you explain a little bit um, from what you know what the Gutierrez 
rhyming scheme is and and how the process that you went in to kind of incorporate yeah. it or modernize it or sample can we say sample it i'm not sure i'm yeah. not sure if it was your grandma's track that featured you or your track that featured grandma yeah well i will uh i want to share uh share a quick story about structure of of poetry and me really understanding her brilliance in in the way she delivered it and then kind of go into how we how we did it. Uh, we had a show in Brown University, and that was one of the shows we got booked for, right? In, in Rhode Island. Fancy. You know? Wow. And they gave a, you know. Ivy League show. From yeah. The, from the public Ivy to the yeah. private Ivy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think uh, it was interesting was uh, we were put on the, the show, and then I actually knew people in Rhode Island because um, uh, I grew up on the East Coast in Syracuse, so we had some friends there. And uh, I wanted to collaborate with them. So there was a guitar player and another uh, Hmong hip-hop artist. And then uh, Grandma and I would go on afterwards. And I forgot to mention it to Grandma. So when we went on stage and I said, Grandma, I'm going to collaborate with these two artists first. So I collaborated with the, uh, the guitar player first. And uh, right after, Grandma stood up and said, is it my turn yet? I was like, oh, no, not, not yet, Grandma. <laughs> hold on, hold on. <laughs> and then uh, I performed with the other hip-hop artist, and then she got up and she said, is it my turn yet? And I was like, oh, yeah, oh, no, it's going to be. <laughs> so the, you know, it's going to be your turn. She's, like, ready to go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so one of our structures are, we would say, four stanzas. So I would do four stanzas, she would do four stanzas, and we trade back and forth. And we used to uh, tap each other on the shoulder in the beginning, but then we got kind of, uh, we understood the length of four stanzas at a certain point, so we can just kind of come in and out. And so then I did four stanzas, she did four stanzas, I did four stanzas, she did four stanzas, and I did four stanzas, and all of a sudden she just did... It was like 44 stanzas. It was like she just kept going. So it was her track. It yeah. featured you. I, I could not stop. I mean, I didn't try to stop her, but I was trying to signal her like four fingers. And maybe she thought that she was felt inspired. She said 44. Yeah, yeah. Maybe she thought that was 44. That was <laughs> and she just went off. And I think she was just like waiting so long that she just had so much, you know, to say. And I think she was freestyling, too. And uh, oh, so, so it, it wasn't it wasn't pulled from sort of a more ritual chant. This was sort of off the dome. Uh, her just uh, I believe so because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I never saw her go for that long. And oh, wow, I think that yeah, she kind of went off script and just kind of went off uh, and and for for that long. And she won the battle. <laughs> yeah, she definitely won. <laughs> You know, because I was like, "All right, we're done." <laughs> that's the, that's the end of the show. The she drops, she drops the mic. Yeah, yeah. that was a yeah. mic drop yeah. moment. Yeah. That was basically. Yeah. I don't know what the Twin Cities version of Eight Mile is, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whatever that yeah, street exactly. is, University <laughs> Avenue. <you> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We got to remake this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah. So uh, with Gutia, at that time, I understood it to that point where there is this structure. And she does repeat certain stanzas, but then at the same time, she adds on uh, maybe different uh, endings to each stanza. And I couldn't completely understand Gutia yet at the time. And honestly, I felt it was really difficult to be, to be very honest. And um, I would actually say that I didn't 
really uh, take on learning Kutia until I came back to grad school. And uh, I think you mentioned earlier, uh, we call it Sifu Kyoa or Atyan Kyoa. Uh, she's the Hmong language professor there. And her assignments were, uh, you gotta, I, we have to write our own Kutia and perform it. Oh, wow. And that's when I really this started this is the advanced diving. Hmong yes. class, I hope. Okay. <laughs> oh, actually, it's intermediate. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and so... That's when I started learning it for and really having even a deeper appreciation for it. And I think that it's not that I didn't want to take it on back then. It was more that I felt it was so beyond me at that time. But now maybe it's more about timing that, oh, this is the right time to, to really learn it. Yeah, so. Yeah. So who are you learning it from these days? Oh, it w- it's, uh, well, initially through uh, Professor Kyoa there, Lee, uh, but... My auntie, who is, you know, grandma's daughter from Fresno, she is a farmer. She's been a farmer all her life uh, in Fresno, California. She actually, those are some of the most skilled Gutsia singers or poetry chanters is because they would farm and they would sing poetry at the same time. So that's how they get their practice in. And yeah, she's very skilled and... Uh, yeah, that's who I'm also learning from now is my aunt. In in Upland Southeast Asia, would, is that yeah. where it would have been also chanted while working? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's th- where they had the most time to, to hone their craft, I say. it's, And I mentioned it in my presentation that it's just part of their everyday life to hone their craft. You know, they do it while they're farming. And so some of the most skilled poets are still in Southeast Asia because of that. Yeah. Is Kuchia a, a gendered form of oral performance? Mm. Oh, it's both. Uh, it's or uh, it's um, a lot of men also do kutsia, yeah. And then uh, th- you mentioned green dialect. Uh, green dialect have their own version called lutsa, mm. yeah. And actually, my grandmother is speaks green dialect, and I speak the white dialect of Hmong. So she actually does both, white and green Hmong. Yeah. yeah wow. So, yeah. Yeah. Are are there differences in how men would perform versus women? Uh, in this art form? Uh, I think it's pretty similar um, to how I know it. I think that the dialects are different, and then regions have their own versions of Kutsia based off the region that you are from or your parents are from. And so that lineage of Kutsia gets passed on. Um, but there's still a similarity in the way that you hear it in the tones, but uh, there is different styles of it based off the regions. And like, even like Vietnam or China has their own style of Gutsia. Yeah. And what, what style are you adopting? I mean, the, the joy yeah. of, of learning a new language yeah. as a, a quasi outsider is that you can yeah. choose yeah. your style, right? You don't, you don't just grow up with it. Is there a style mm-hmm. that you're gravitating towards? Yeah. Uh, yeah. My aunt uh, in California, her name is C. She suggested Lu Tao, which is a type of that has more of a choppy it's not as because sing-songy because mm-hmm. I don't sing as much because I am a rapper she felt like Lutao type it's a stylistically it, it's more uh, you don't stretch your your uh, melodies as much and so uh, she said it's more similar to rapping mm. and that's the style that I've been practicing the most yeah yeah and I, I like it like that style yeah so your next album, is that what we're going to get? <laughs> uh, there was a suggestion made during my presentation that uh, to do use a Kutsia uh, 
the the sounds of Gutsia to put it over a beat, and that's still that would still be uh, there's some Gutsia on beats, but not in a way where it's like in a hip hop form. So I think to experiment with that yeah. and to do a project with it, that would be a great yeah. challenge. That would that would flip <laughs> it because usually yeah. you put the words on the beats, not yeah. the beats on the words. Yes, yes right. So yes. that would be a super interesting exercise. Yeah. Yes. Send me the pre-order link <laughs> when that is ready. <laughs> yes. Are the uh, are the um, practitioners are they kind of open to your experimentation with presenting it in new art forms like hip hop? Are they are they cautious yeah. about it? Are there it gatekeepers that yeah. are not yeah. happy yeah. with are you? They, are they precious about it? Is yeah. it like what what's the what's the range of responses? Oh, that's a great question, and that's actually something that. Uh, I didn't have time to include in my presentation, so I'm glad you asked that. Uh, there are different ways of thinking about it, right? There are people who want to keep the pure traditional way of, of performing, whether it's Gutsia or even, it actually extends to many aspects of practicing Hmong culture. And doing anything different would be, uh, you know, uh, altering it in a way that's not honoring the original way of doing it. And I definitely understand the purists, right? Really understand that way of thinking. And the only th and if there's you know newer and newer people that are learning it that way, I think that's great. Um, I think the challenge is that finding young people that will continue it. And I think that's something that uh, is harder to find. Um, even though you you may find a few, but. Um, by adapting it, by revitalizing it in different styles and forms, um, actually you find more young people that want to, to do it then or to embrace some of those traditional arts. And so I think I appreciate both ways of thinking about it because I can appreciate the purists because they show us the way that it's originally done, but then also yeah. the way that it's uh, either adapted or revitalized. Um, I could also appreciate how that's reaching new generations by doing it. Right. Well, and yeah. It also presupposes, you know, not nothing against the purists, but it presupposes that that thing they're calling pure and authentic, that it didn't evolve over time, right? That it's it's somehow trapped no. in amber for, <laughs> you know, like for a million years, like, yeah. or maybe not. Yo, no, you're <laughs> exactly right. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up, too, because my grandma would say the traditional way she does Gutsia is actually her adaptation, her new way of performing Gutsia from the elders of her generation. Right, right. It's Actually, an innovation. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right, right. Yes. And, and you get into that type of discourse and discussion in the diaspora, right? So we get that same kind of gatekeeping or mm -hmm. ambivalence in yeah. the Thai community yeah. where, you know, maybe the Thai American kids, they want to take a traditional dance and maybe add something to it. Or they want to take the t traditional dance and enhance like their jazz dance performance, right? Mm -hmm. Or play Thai music with the clarinet. These are uh -huh. things uh, that, that children of two worlds or with have. Or with a steel drum. <laughs> or the steel drum, right? And uh, Yeah. Um, so, but then we get that from our elders. Like, yeah. well, maybe, why don't you learn what you, where it came from yes. first before you start messing with it? So, um, We'll see how that plays out with, with your with your journey. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, it is important to learn the history of it, too, <laughs> you know. Right. Even if we're going to adapt it and, uh, uh, you know, uh, revitalize it or sample it. 
I think it is important to learn the history of it. But then once you do learn the history of it, then you can break the rules. And and even with my when I talked to my uncle who played the flute, I actually asked him for permission. And also he totally embraced me wanting to put it in my hip-hop song and honor his flute playing. And, and so I think that, you know, it became a great collaboration in that sense. So, you know, there's ways to do it, uh, but I, I definitely understand that that discourse uh, has to happen too. Uh, yeah, so thanks. I, I, um, a, a bit of a bit of a shift, but I think our, it's yeah. important for our, maybe educate some of our listeners who who don't know, and and everyone can chime in here. But the you know the the, the many Hmong are if the the answer of like why are there Hmong in the United States? Mm-hmm. Uh, why they you know um, what's the what's the what's the short answer to that question? <laughs> yeah. In five words, I'm just kidding. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah, the uh, during the the Vietnam War, there was the secret war in Laos. And that is where the America CIA recruited Hmong people to, to fight alongside uh, America during that time against uh, communist Laos and Vietnam. And that's where, after the war ended, uh, a lot of Hmong had to escape as refugees because of uh, their being recruited by America at the time, the United States at the time. And so... America, or Hmong people were living in the refugee camps of Thailand for uh, years until they were resettled, and some were resettled in the United States, some were resettled in France and Australia and various countries throughout the world, and so it was through refugee resettlement, yeah. And then the big reunification um, in the mid-90s as well. Um, when that right. bill was passed to bring family members over um, from the second generation, and I, I was surprised because oh, yeah, I, when yeah. I came, you know, to the United States, I've I've known that there are uh, Hmong people, obviously in Thailand, yeah. and then I came here and to this, you know, weird foreign place called Wisconsin, <laughs> which I didn't know what it was, yeah. um, and then a lot of my classmates were Hmong because that's yeah. where they ended up was Madison, you know, and, and I thought, Oh, you're here. I'm here for totally Wait different reasons. Yeah. Like what, what, what are you doing here? <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing here, you know? And, yeah. and that was, um, and, and, but because the ethnic majority ties have been so terrible to ethnic minorities in, mm-hmm. in Thailand, mm-hmm. it, it was hard, you know, for yeah. us to bridge that even as children, mm-hmm. Because, like you mentioned in in one of your um, pieces you performed last night, is is the the trauma that's like in the brain and the experience and your worldviews that are shaped through what your parents teach you, the things that are kind of even said by the wayside, you know, at dinner table and stuff like that. So the the trying to be friends, you know, and and in completely white Wisconsin, we're we're the only Southeast Asians in the school. Was like the one Thai kid and all the Hmong kids. And I like a couple of Vietnamese, you know, and I was like, I need to be able to like be friends with them. But we couldn't we couldn't bridge it. We just Mm -hmm. came from the same country, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. but such different experiences, Mm -hmm. you know, and and how have you seen kind of that type of bridging through music? Because when when you end up in diaspora long enough together, you develop some 
you know, common experiences and things. Have you had any of those experiences through the, the hip hop community or through your um, yeah. social advocacy? Yeah. Uh, well, I'll start with the hip hop community just because, uh, yeah, growing up there and knowing that there's this community independent scene in the Twin Cities that was going on and they were doing festivals in different parks as well as doing concerts uh, in uh, uh at venues, but we were fully, I should say fully, but we were embraced, we were welcomed, we were invited. When I say we, my brother and I was created this group back then where we performed and we were always invited and embraced by uh, the hip hop community, which was very diverse in itself. There, uh, with the different ethnicities and race in Minnesota, you know, there are Latino artists, black artists, white artists. Uh, various Asian artists, uh, Khmer artists. And so we definitely felt like a part of this community through hip hop that where we brought our cultures and we also shared stories about each other's cultures, right? We were actually encouraged to share our culture more by uh, some of the other hip hop artists. Um, and, and, you know, it's up to us, of course, but it was more of encouragement. And I think that it really uh, helped them feel connected to our story and some of them related to our stories too. And we related to theirs. And so I think that uh, hip hop definitely in a sense of a, a, this movement through community really helped shape uh, my understanding of building and connecting to other cultures and having something in common, such as you know exp an expression of you know, lyrics and through music. Uh, I think within the activists and community, organizing community. Uh, there's definitely a lot of history with division amongst community. And I think at a certain point when we got older and we understood that we don't want, we need to share resources and stay connected and we're more stronger uh, collaborating versus, uh, you know, feeling like we're fighting over resources. I think that we started to bridge with a lot of other communities, uh, especially with the black community. Um, which we shared the same neighborhoods. And um, so Frogtown is one of them, for example, and uh, in St. Paul. So I think that uh, we definitely came together over uh, those types of uh, schools of thought, yeah. So And, and you also tried to bridge between the um, Hmong American kids here mm -hmm. and in Thailand, right? Yes. Can you, I'm here to promote you. I'm now your <laughs> official Thank you. hype woman. Um <laughs> His record drop last year. He yeah. also has this amazing um, project. Can you tell us a little bit about the project that you've been doing in yeah. Thailand? Yeah, Street Stops and Mountaintops. And, you know, that's a reference to uh, Hmong who grew up from, from in the city. And Where, Hmong, where's Hmong where's the best place to get that, uh, to, to get access to that? Is it Spotify? Uh, oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. well, uh, for my album... <laughs> It's not, uh, I think they have to just contact me directly for now, but I do plan to release it. We have a page on Facebook as far as it shows our work that we've engaged with students over in Thailand. But it was me going to Thailand, engaging in the villages, and seeing how much arts was influential for young people there and them not accessing a lot of arts programming over there in Thailand or in the villages. And I then coming back and knowing that we have uh, you know, a group of young artists that want to teach and work with 
students just like I do and then wanting them to have a similar experience that I did. And so I brought them together, a few of us, uh, a few break dancers and or, or hip hop dancers, uh, musicians and we and eventually media artists like uh, video artists. And we uh, just came together and we would fundraise and we connected to a particular like uh, or it's an orphanage. But it's also like a school for Hmong um, youth or students there. And we collaborated with them uh, in Thailand. And then we just started building relationships and then we'd go there and do artist residencies. And it was definitely an exchange where we were teaching the art, having them express their uh, stories through their arts. But then also we were learning about the life in the village and growing up in Southeast Asia. And I think that was a huge experience for those who, who went to. Yeah, so yeah, it, so it was, it was me, it was just spreading the love, wanting to, you know, uh, have others experience this, but then also, you know, I could reach more people by bringing a group there. So, yeah. And you talked in your presentation today about not going into these collaborations or um, activities with a mindset that you're going in there to, you know, improve their lives, like a savior right. mentality, right. right? So what was your mindset kind of going? What were you hoping to yeah. see? What did you expect? And once you get there, what happened? Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, I, I think I'm just fortunate enough to have uh, mentors uh, and elders that I connect with in community that help teach me about, you know, when we help others, it, it's about how to uplift them and how to support them, how to help them become their own leaders, right? And and we are, are there to, to help shape that and, and inspire that, right? And I think to me, uh, the way it, that I thought about it, and we actually tested it out because we thought about, oh, are they interested in hip hop even, right? Or music, and I mean, def they definitely were because we would test it out and ask them afterwards. And there was actually, at that point, there was uh, this whole hip hop scene in Thailand and breakdance scene and everything. And what year, what year was this? Uh, that The initial year was 2006. 16 I think yeah I think it was 2016 yeah it was the initial year that we went and I think we tested it out uh, around that time yeah and so they were already familiar with uh, break dancing or hip-hop dancing yeah and then with the music and the hip-hop and I, I think I saw some of it in the ex exhibition like they're like Joey boy oh yeah titanium he's, and, uh, he's yeah I mean titanium just for a minute let me go on a tangent yeah so Titanium is a, for those of you guys who aren't dropping Thai hip-hop uh, tracks on your list, yeah. but Titanium, they're actually Thai Americans oh. um, who grew up on the East Coast. And they started, they got into hip-hop there. And then at some point, I don't know the, all the details, right. they end up in Thailand. Mm -hmm. And they are credited with kind of bringing street-style hip-hop to Thai rap, whereas mm. Thai rap before that was very like Fresh Prince, Will mm. Smith rap. You know what I mean? <laughs> you you know what I mean? And right, right, and right. Uh, so you had you know like J J Tarin. You have Joey so Joey Boy. You have um, the Gym who were doing kind of comedic, yeah. 
yeah. storytelling rap, but not really bringing any of their, like, it wasn't experiential rap. Yeah. And uh, so when Titanium went to Thailand and they really brought that, you listen to their first album, it's very East Coast beats. You know, yes. Sometimes it's like the same track because they use the same producers, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And, and as a linguist, I just listen with, with, uh, interest because they are the first Thai rap artists to have a bilingual uh, rhyming scheme because again their Thai wasn't great mm. right but they were they were like signed to this Thai record company mm -hmm. they have to do it in Thai and of course with <laughs> you know proximity to whiteness and like imperialism yeah, yeah. and all linguistic imperialism right. it's trendy to have English words but you can't uh, do it all in English right, right you know so like one of my favorite lines um, to show their bilingual um, uh, rhyming scheme was they were, you know, it was a track about a girl, right? They're trying to holler mm. at a girl. Yeah. And he says, na, rak, na. It's supposed to rhyme with the F word, uh. right? But at that at the time when they dropped that record, like the F word was not known in, mm. in Thailand as a, a thing. Right. And so for them to leave <laughs> that gap, right, in uh. the rhyming scheme, because they were like, oh, na, rak, na. <laughs> and I heard it. I was like, "Oh, I know, I know what word is supposed to be there." Uh -huh. And it was like the first kind of, um, wow. you know, hip hop record that like spoke to me as a person yeah. because I'm bilingual, uh -huh. and so it's like they had the same language as me, you know. And so by the time you got there in 2016, they're huge, right? Yeah, right, right. And and so they were familiar with it, but they were not as familiar with Hmong language rap at the mm. time. Or Did th they know that th it existed? Yeah. Uh, I think they heard a few songs, but they didn't know. They weren't as familiar with it yet. And uh, now at this point, they are more familiar. Uh, I'm thinking young people in Hmong in Thailand. But uh, at that point, they were being introduced to rapping in Hmong. And so it was their first time doing singing and rapping in Hmong also. And um, one of the students, I remember him saying that there was these uh, Thai b-boys that he saw growing up, uh, like, at a event, perform on stage, and he's like, oh, he always wanted to learn. And that he, when a b-boy actually came to his orphanage and taught him, it was like, Aww. oh, he's achieving what he always wanted Aww. to do. Oh, that's know, so. so great. So it was one of those moments. It's like <laughs> heart eyes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the b-boy, like, there was some talent, like, talent and athleticism in the in in the dancing and the break dancing like it was like it's we brought them some they got some high quality i don't know if the the kids know like okay this is the real deal they're getting yeah i i think they're at that point um yes definitely uh because the, one of the teachers was lou finisher tao and he's one of the really well-known b-boys from minnesota but he's also performed all over the world um so he was actually their teacher and uh, I think they wow. were just really wild. I think we saw a few video clips of him. <laughs> yeah. He's the one that's doing a lot of those. Like the uh, kids didn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> the kids didn't even know what they were getting. Right, right. Uh, yeah. And uh, and I just want to make a point. I appreciate that the gym had breakers in his video. I think he had some break mm -hmm. dancers in his video. Because I remember that. Like, oh, he's got like some records. And <laughs> he's got some of the symbolism in his video. So I, I did appreciate that. And, you know, over the years, I've uh, kept my ear to, to Thai hip-hop just because I go back there and I know uh, artists like... Oh, I actually saw my last trip there, Millie. Millie. Uh, Millie. And, uh, She's great. Your boy, TJ. 
Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was like, okay, this is the new generation. <laughs> I mean, and Millie, you know, performed yeah. at Coachella. Like, yes. she she made it, you know. Yes. And um, so now also Mango and Sticky Rice made it. Yes. Because she brought it on stage. Yeah. Um, so that was, like, a very big <laughs> moment for us, you know. Oh, no. Are all the hipsters going to buy all the Sticky Rice and Mango it, in the United it States? Literally it literally sold like out. <laughs> yeah. Like, we made it. You know, that's, that's how we know. We were at Coachella. Folks are make, making puns. Um, yes. In the MCU, you know, I LARP you yes. at the post credit with uh, oh. Spider Man. I shed a tear. I was like, "Wow, Thai people, we made it!" <laughs> yeah, and another, <laughs> and this is because I I'm not versed with Thai language yet, but because I have a lot of Thai friends, they said that she did use a lot of a uh, vernacular in her rapping too, which is familiar to you know, yeah, hip hop. And so I was like, "Yes, you know, I I un- totally understand." she's using vernacular in her lyrics yeah, and yeah. she's man yeah, she's yeah. fire man she um yeah, yeah. she is so young yeah. but came in like fully formed yeah. you know as a person um and did you did you encounter some of those kids that were just like they were they just needed a medium mm. to express themselves and then once you gave it to them they just like blew up yeah yeah they uh just they kept performing and uh, yeah I, I visited them too and they remembered all the songs they <laughs> that they they performed back then uh 2016 so so yeah yeah it was great to reconnect and you know just continue hoping that we could and encourage creativity but then also we stay connected through the arts uh and i think that was something that was really important yeah that that it was a very memorable for them in that sense. Yeah. Are there plans to go back and and do another uh, street stops, mountain tops? Yeah, there is. Uh, I think yeah, of course, because of the pandemic, uh, there was a huge break in traveling. But uh, yeah, now that it's uh, getting better, uh, we do plan to to reconnect and go again. Yeah. So where can our listeners go to support you guys? Yeah. Is there a donate button you can link? <laughs> Yeah, right hype, now I'm like your hype woman. <laughs> I know. Right now we have a a, a Facebook page, uh, Street Stops and Mountain Tops, uh, on Facebook. So you can definitely look it up to track our uh, what we're doing, and when we restart and and do it again, we'll definitely uh, make some announcements. So. Yeah, I think they're waiting on me to graduate. <laughs> I think that's part of the reason too. But uh, but you know, it's hard to yeah. grad school and no. at do advocacy at right, the same right, time. Right. So yeah. Well, we we teased it at the beginning. Um, could we be could we be favored with some uh, with yeah. some? Uh, Can you bestow some, some verses some on us? Verses on us. Yeah. Most definite. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, Wait, can can you freestyle in Hmong yet? Or is no. that something to look forward to? Are you working towards it or not? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I should. Sorry. You know, I'm such a language teacher. <laughs> I'm like pressuring you right yeah. now. <laughs> no, not yet. But I've, I I have a friend that can, which is amazing. Uh, I'm not there yet. <laughs> but definitely I would I would want to be there one day yeah, where I'm comfortable enough to f- just freestyle in the Hmong language. Yeah. Do, we, do we have... Uh, um, this five fingers of death uh, is this the, is this the track name or are we gonna is this uh, freestyle is this uh, is this a thought out verse what are, what's uh, what are we hearing what are we about to hear oh <laughs> yeah I was just gonna do a verse okay but, uh, he's like the pressure y'all the, the pressure no 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 yeah we, uh, yeah no pressure. 
this is what uh and our I listeners think, wouldn't know anyway. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah this is what i think i would do uh i would do a verse you know if if i did feel it maybe freestyle but i just okay. do a verse sure, and sure. um yeah maybe if if i uh i might have another idea to 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 share so yeah okay here we go two psych here we <laughs> yeah this is two psych on the mic NIU, <laughs> DJ Eric, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, this is how we do. You gotta get up, get out, get some of this. Spit second languages like counterfeit, a refugee to be. Considered a convict, considered a criminal, considered a threat to infect your stereo. They never kept a promise, broken bets, broken bones, broken necks, broken open, the broken hope, but never spoken. Cold conspiracy, my spirit is hearing me. You hearing me? Fear factor from the media, hating my people is the evil. They put inside minds from headline to headline, we running out of time. Rewind to find a mind filled with peace don't believe everything you see on tv or reading newspapers trying to break us apart we started this movement telling truth from the heart we started this movement with the bruises to prove it we started this movement to raise up communities so what's in front of us they try to front on us breaking us down breaking us down it's just too corrupt get up stand up write out your handcuffs stand up for your rights raise them high for justice uh Hey. Yeah. Thank you for like letting uh, me live out my um, breakfast club dreams of <laughs> interviewing a hip hop artist and asking them for a verse. Yeah. I feel and like a, and a DJ like, shout out. I mean, it's just all of our dreams coming true. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah I mean, like, yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm 12 watching <laughs> oh BET. God. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I like to say, I went from Bangkok Street to BET because because when I came to the U.S., they had this desegregation. Uh. Uh, situation uh, to try to undo some of the redlining in Madison. Mm. And so they would bus us uh. into a predominantly black elementary school. Mm. So I literally just came from Bangkok and like a month and a half later, wow. I was getting bused to like a predominantly black school and that's all I knew of America. You know, I didn't I didn't know anything. I mm. thought this was America. I got there, my principal was black, my vice principal was black. And all my friends were black. You know, Wisconsin, and predominantly African-American. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't know what Wisconsin was, you know. And so I went straight into, like, double-dutching, drill team. Wow. And I, I thought yeah. everybody celebrated Kwanzaa, you know, as a school. I yeah. got out to – and then middle school was a predominantly white middle school. And I was mm. like, what What happened here, you know? <laughs> Just, oh, wow. And so, yeah, it, it really – I was – I was like, breakfast club dreams. <laughs> so thank you so oh, much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so we, 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 I was say, what's next? We've got it. We've got an MA in the, uh, at, at University yeah. of Wisconsin, uh, Madison and Anthro, uh, you're working on. And, uh, it's poor form to ask how it's going and, or when it's going to be finished. So we won't. Uh, but you did some cool research this summer. Yes, like, yes. thankfully, you're able to get over there. Um, yeah. so yeah, are, are any, any music in the future? That uh, we, we got your new album. Are that's you going to wrap your thesis? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's a great question. I don't What's know if I wrap my dance or dissertation. What's yeah, that? there like there is a dance uh, dance your thesis competition. Wow, online. So if that's a medium you want to pick up uh. between now and your graduation, yeah, 
Um, you would win. <laughs> you would totally win. I think. I, I think. I'm probably okay. I have a few plans for the thesis. Actually, one is, and you know, I have to clarify it with my advisor, of course. But but one is doing the thesis the way it's uh, traditionally done, just the written form. But because actually, it's one of the village leaders that also called us out mm-hmm. as researchers said. I don't mm. like it when researchers come and research us and then they disappear and we never hear from Absolutely. them again. And then, yep. and then I was like, all right, because I tend, I went to his village. I was like, all right, I'm gonna come back. <laughs> but then I know that you don't read English, so I'm gonna have to translate some Hmong, but mm-hmm. then also uh, recite it because not everyone reads and writes in Hmong either. Right. So then it's gonna be an uh, an oral uh, thesis version of uh, the thesis that's in Hmong. Awesome. So then the elders could also hear it. Yeah, they could also listen to it, uh, almost like a storytelling yeah. right. format. Yeah, as I mean, as yeah, native yeah. scholars, yes. you know, there are different standards for us, yes. right? We can helicopter. Not that anyone should be a helicopter scholar where you just parachute in and parachute out, but the level of accountability to our own community, right, is is different. And we can't just write a thesis without the community being able to see because that the you mentioned in your talk, you know, it takes a whole village. It takes a whole village to do a thesis, especially when you're doing community engaged, community based research. And that's so I that's I love it. I love that they're gonna be able to experience the end product of of the hard work that that they've put in, right, to your success. And after talking to both of you, now I'm thinking about maybe putting a little background music track to it. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that would be cool. Hell yeah. <laughs> you know, like add uh, a few different thing elements to it uh, when I, and you know, I and everyone can listen to it actually now. <laughs> you well, know, it's just so, so much yeah. more engaging as a, you yeah. know, like, um, you know, you th- I think of j- you gave a great talk uh, last night at our museum opening and you, you think like, how many museum talks have I been to? And that's the one I'll probably remember is because it had this cool performative uh, engaging. Like, so, I mean, I think uh, there's actually an argument that it's perhaps the pedagogically the most persuasive and relevant uh, way to do it. So uh, you you have my endorsement. (laughs) Not that you need it. Yeah, we're Uh, not on your committee, but we vote for this proposal. (laughs) We approve this proposal. Thank you so much. So uh, th- thanks so much uh, for your time, uh, and uh, uh, on behalf of Ganja and I, yeah, we, c- we can't we can't say thanks enough. So happy you're here, and so proud. I have no right to be proud of you, but I'm so oh. proud of all that you've done and all that you continue to do for your people, for your community, and just the community yeah. at large. And like I said in the beginning, um, you know, I it's just so touching and moving, and. And I'm getting emotional right now, but I, you know, to to see somebody taking the initiative and doing all the things that you're doing, and I congratulate you and all of your successes, and wish you many more. Thank you so much yeah. for coming. And I'm just gonna say, uh, I said this to to Micah too right before I got here that uh, it's it, it's one of the most uh, welcoming, and I've with students, faculty, and everyone here, uh, people that were. Uh, facilitating the exhibition that uh, y'all really inspire me with sharing your your projects and your experiences too and you know I would definitely want to come back here just because y'all show so much love here and support Aww. you know so I appreciate your energy your I've got ideas energy. brewing student we'll student talk student later student conference in the spring yeah 
and, and even if it's just me wanting to come back and share my thesis too oh, uh, yeah. but, but definitely we'll sure. do, I'm open to the conference yeah. I, but anything like that too and and just wanting to hey I'm back to, to share just because I feel like y'all are authentically interested in it you know and I think yeah that's who I'd want to share it with so thanks so much yeah. uh, well we'll we'll have you back soon okay thanks yeah Thank you for joining us on this episode of Southeast Asia Crossroads. We would like to give thanks to Tantracoon for the use of his track, Electric Can, and a thanks to our audio producer, Amelia McCoy. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you tune in next time.